Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Looking forward to this morning. Pray the Lord would bless us with his presence and with his spirit and with the power of his word that we might enjoy the blessings which are offered us as a corporate group of believers in partaking of the Lord's Supper. What a blessing we have in this ordinance. Luke chapter 22, verse 14, And when the hour was come, the hour of his choosing, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. He said to them, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Father, I pray now that you bless the preaching of thy word and help me in all my weaknesses and infirmities to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. May you be honored and glorified, and may your children be exhorted, encouraged, and strengthened and comforted. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there are very few places in this present world which lieth in wickedness where a true child of God can find a moment of solitude and rest with Christ. There is the assembling of God's people which once held a much greater esteem in the hearts and minds of God's people than this present generation of rogue and selfishly independent professors. And there's also our own closets, those private times we spend with Christ in prayer and worship. Those are two places that the Christian, in some manner, can separate himself from the world for a few short moments to have a time of solitude and peace and comfort with Christ in this world which lieth in wickedness. And yet though these times and places are very precious and comforting to the true believer and vital for our spiritual comfort and encouragement, nothing, and I repeat, nothing is like unto the fellowship and comfort we receive as we gather together in communion around the Lord's table. Now that might seem like a strange thought in this generation of superficial Christianity. Yet our forefathers took this time to be of very significance and importance for their spiritual well-being and comfort as well as the unity of the believers. I fear that same spirit has been greatly lost over the years 
And yet I pray God would give us a sense of it this morning. Because the assembling of the saints together is important, vitally important for our spiritual strength and comfort and peace and hope. Our private relationships with Christ in our closets as we close the world out and seek Him in prayer and worship is vitally important and does strengthen us and encourage us. Yet when God's people, His elect, assemble together, not only for the purpose of worshiping, but gathering around His table to partake of this divine ordinance, I believe this is like none other. And I believe that it should be a time of great rejoicing and joy and comfort and humility and praise and adoration for God's people. Yet I fear because the church has done this so long and for so many years while the Lord delays His coming that it's become monotonous. And in some ways we become callous and indifferent about this portion, about this divine ordinance of which Christ has commanded us to partake of. Christ, in His own words, describing the great blessings of such communion when he said in verse 15, with desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It confounds the English language. With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I would like to believe that that same desire Christ speaks of or spoke of many years ago, we can sense this morning as His children, that every time we gather together around the Lord's table, our Lord in heaven expresses the same words of sympathy, love, and care that desire, with desire has He desired to eat this Passover with us. And yet, with the forsaking of the assembling of the saints together by so many over the past few years, and thereby the impossibility of gathering together with God's people to partake of the Lord's table, many have wrought upon themselves, I believe, great heartache and sorrow. For they're not only forsaking the assembling of themselves together, but because they're not assembling themselves together with the saints of God, they're denied partaking of this divine ordinance of the Lord. That's a twofold loss of the greatest sorts. And yet many believers today who have chosen this route speak as though they're content without them. Tell me the church is not in a terrible state when those who profess to know Christ is not bothered that they're not assembling together and because they're not assembling together they cannot partake of the Lord's Supper. Tell me that Christians Christians can believe that and be content with that and still say that they're happy and content as Christians. How far have we come over these couple thousand years 
Well, the Lord was saying in Matthew in the latter days when the disciples asked him, and we'll be looking at that passage of Scripture like I promised, be careful that no man deceive you. Beware that no man deceive you. They say between Malachi and Matthew there was approximately 430 years of silence. Well, after 430 years, look what happened to God's people. The Pharisees, Sadducees, so many sects and cults arose after 430 years. So much deception after 430 years. Can you imagine how much deception man can do in over 2,000? As oft as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me, he said. In remembrance of me. Let me speak a word to those, and I know some of them that used to be in churches I pastored. Let me speak a word to those who have forsaken the assembling of the saints, if I could for just a few moments, as a way of exhortation to them and warning to us. Tell me, you who have forsaken the assembling of the saints, thereby forsaking also the Lord's table, does not these words of Christ smite your hearts with great sadness and sorrow when he says, as often as you drink this, you remember me? Does it not smite your heart with great sorrow and sadness that you're not performing that? You're not able to do that? Does not a great measure of guilt fill your heart as you continue to be absent from the Lord's table? How can you truly justify such absence, such disobedience? Not only the blessings of the assembling of the saints, the preaching of God's Word, but add to that the absence of the Lord's table. Do you truly understand the importance of the assembling of the saints? And do you truly understand the importance of partaking of the Lord's table? And yet you can be content without both of them? How can you justify that? Will you blame the churches? Will you blame other Christians? Will you blame your circumstances? What are your excuses for being absent from the Lord's table and the assembling of the saints? On the very night Christ instituted this divine ordinance, the circumstances surrounding Him were far from ideal. The Jews sought to kill Him. Verses 1 and 2 of this same chapter. The devil would betray Him. One of His disciples would deny Him three times. All of His disciples would forsake Him. There was strife amongst His disciples who was the greatest. They were offended because of Christ. And soon He would be betrayed into the hands of sinners to be crucified. Yet in the midst of all that, our Lord sits down and institutes the Lord's Supper. Where do you have the right to justify absence from the table when the Lord chose this time and purpose to institute this divine ordinance? His circumstances were far from ideal. And yet in the midst of that, our Lord sits down and institutes one of the greatest ordinances He'd ever give to the church. 
the midst of all these things, Christ would gather his disciples together alone in an upper chamber that he might institute a divine ordinance which would be for every generation a source of the sweetest and most encouraging comfort, one that would help us to remember him. In the midst of all that, in the midst of all that, he would sit down and institute this ordinance and say, well, every time you do this, as often as you do this, you do remember me. You remember me. You say, well, preacher, we always remember the Lord. Yeah, but there's something our Lord would define in this divine ordinance that alone can help us remember him. And the partaking of it is part of that. If you're not partaking of the Lord's Supper, you're not remembering him as Christ would command us. So tell me, what justifies one for forsaking the assembling of the saints together and the absence of the Lord's table. When Christ himself would prove that the circumstances surrounding the first Lord's Supper were not ideal as well. Most people in this generation of abundant knowledge of doctrine and theology would have probably forsook the Lord's Supper that evening. Well, look, there's a devil amongst us. Look, they're, they're having strife amongst one another. One of them's going to deny, deny Christ three times. We're all going to sack. We're all going to desert him. We're all going to be offended by him. This is not the right and proper time to partake of the Lord's Supper. And yet the Lord does. May we follow the example of our Lord. And may we look at the circumstances surrounding the Lord's Supper that night so that we might learn why it's important that we remember him that we remember him. So let me look at the Lord's Supper a little differently this morning, and hopefully it will encourage us as we partake of the Lord's Supper to understand why it's important that during this time we remember him. First of all, it's important to remember him when we partake of the Lord's Supper because the world sought to kill him. Look in verses 1 and 2 of the same chapter. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. In the midst of that, Christ would sit down and institute the Lord's Supper. In a closed room, but outside those doors, the world was seeking to kill him. This do in remembrance of me. Why? Because I've overcome the world. It doesn't matter what the outside world is doing. It doesn't matter what the outside world is attempting to do. Remember me because I've overcome the world. What the world does has no significance to me. Think about that for a minute. This is the example our Lord is showing us. They're seeking to kill him. They're outside. He's in a closed chamber. He's sitting his disciples around him. And he's saying, now I know the world's outside. They're fixing to kill me. They want to kill me. And I'm fixing to be crucified here in a few short hours. But I want you to understand, as you remember me, don't worry about what the world does. Don't worry about the threats of the world. Remember me. He sits at the table as one that has overcome the world. We're in John chapter 14. Listen to the same words of Christ. John chapter 14, in verse 26. But the Comforter, 
which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your what? To your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit of God will bring to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let you not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard now how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Paul said, as often as you eat this, you do show the Lord's death till he come again. Here the Lord speaks of coming again. He speaks of a comforter that's going to bring to your remembrance everything that Christ has taught you. I'm leaving you my peace. I'm leaving you my joy. I'm leaving you everything. Why? Because I am one that has overcome the world. So in the midst of the world seeking to kill him, Christ sits down and institutes the Lord's Supper that he might show us that as we remember him, we must not be concerned or worried about what the world does. The world is frantic right now. The things have been set in motion, like we said last week, that's going to set the world's hatred against us even more. Do you, do you notice as the Lord got closer and closer to Calvary that the hatred of the world grew more and more vehemently towards Christ? To where they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The Lord is saying, by remembering me, you remember also that I've conquered the world. Many know much about John chapter 16 and verse 33. John 16, 33, the Lord said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Now listen to this, that in me you might have peace. In me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have, what? I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. You see, the child of God, the true child of God, doesn't look for peace in this world. From this world, he seeks tribulation. He knows tribulation is coming. He seeks peace in Christ. So when the Lord sat them down that night to partake of the Lord's Supper, the world outside was raging against Christ, seeking to kill him. The Lord says, don't be worried about the world. In me, you have peace. Remember me. So often over the years when I've come into the house of the Lord on the Lord's Day, when we partook of the Lord's Supper, I found great comfort in remembering Christ and shutting out the world and not fearing what the world can do. We sang the song, Abide With Me, but there's another verse that's in that hymn. It says, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness as long as I have Christ. They sought to kill him. Christ sat down and said, no, every time you do this, remember me. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Today, in remembering him in the partaking of this divine ordinance, we fear not the world's hatred and animosity towards us. We fear not, because we remember Him. That's the first point. Remember Him. Don't worry about the world. The second one. This do in remembrance of me, for as there was a Judas in our midst, so too there will be Judases in your midst. 
Beloved, this is true today more than it ever was. For I believe with all my heart there are more unconverted than truly converted in most churches. And I say that very solemnly but earnestly. There are more unconverted than converted in churches. I'm telling you, in the past 15, 20 years that I've ministered, I have seen and witnessed more unconverted people in churches than converted. You say, how is that possible? I'm telling you, it's very possible. This is why the church is in such disarray. Do you know that? We wonder why the church, so-called Christians, are doing and saying what they're saying. I'm telling you the reason why. There's a lot of unconverted in the pews that people are professing to be Christians and they're not. There are many Judases. The Lord knew it that night. In fact, he's the one that revealed unto him. He's the one who's going to betray me. He sat down with the twelve. Remember, not the eleven. He sat down with the twelve and he said, one of you is going to betray me. He knew that. And so, in Christ being our example, he said, even though you have Judases amongst you, every time you do this, remember me and don't be worried about the Judases. It's an amazing truth I hope would comfort us. The tares have greatly multiplied. The goats are many amongst the sheep. The false teachers and countless are countless. The creeping in of ungodly men has greatly increased, yet not without divine provision or allowance. In fact, our Lord, our Lord proves that this very evening when He says to Peter or to, to Judas, "That that thou doest, do quickly." He permits it. He does. That that thou doest, do quickly. You have my you have my permission. Go, 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 do it. Even though there's Judases amongst us, even though there's a lot of ungodly men that's crept in, a lot of tares, a lot of goats amongst the sheep. Even though this is true, as we partake this morning of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, Him, let us be reminded that Christ is in control of all things. He knows all things. Even with Peter, when he said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you. He's requested you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail thee not. <laughs> What's the comfort? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't worry about the Judases. Don't worry about these things. When you gather together to partake of this Lord's Supper and you remember me, remember that I am greater than he that is in the world. You have no reason to fear the Judases or the ungodly men. That's the second thing. What's the third circumstances? Well, even amongst his own disciples, there was much confusion, weaknesses, and failures. They would all be offended because of Christ that night, Scripture says. They would strive amongst themselves who was the greatest. They would all desert him, and one would even deny him three times. Yet do this in remembrance of me. Why does he do that? Well, there's a twofold reason for this, and I'll give you both of them. First of all, in the light of all these weaknesses and failures, amongst his own disciples that night in that same room. Let us be careful that our mutual weaknesses and failures and even our sins 
not hinder us from keeping our eyes and our hearts on Christ. But remember him. The children of Israel claimed and cried out because of Canaan when they came back and gave a false report or a bad report. They cried, our brethren have discouraged our hearts. But I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll look at the weaknesses and sins and failures of other Christians and we'll allow them to hinder us from keeping our eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Listen to me. I'm not talking about forsaking a fallen brother or not praying for them. I'm not talking about... I'm talking first and foremost, we must always keep our eyes on Christ. If we do not keep our eyes on Christ, I'm telling you, beloved, we will fall by the wayside. We will become discouraged by the actions and sins and failures of others that we will not serve Christ faithfully. Be careful that you keep your eyes on Christ. Do not put anybody on a higher standard than Christ. People will fail you. Your closest brother will fail you. We're human. Keep your eyes on Christ. They were striving in that same room. Who was going to be the great? They wasn't just talking about it. The Bible clearly says they were striving with one another, arguing with one another. You're not as good as I am. I'm closer to Christ than you are. Oh, I know more about him than you do. Does it not sound familiar? It sounds almost like Facebook, doesn't it? I know more about Christ than you do. Oh, no, you don't know more about that. I know more about the sovereignty of God and election than you do. I believe this to be true, and therefore you're a liar. You're not a Christian. Do we not see that even now? I was thinking the other day, and believe me, I I enjoy reading books. I enjoy church history. I enjoy reading how God moved in the past. But I was thinking the other day, because somebody was writing a comment about uh, a preacher that's still alive today and his accomplishments, and he was trying to you know, introduce this book that somebody came out with, that you should read it, and this and that. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, John lived longer than any other disciple. They say he lived to be about 100 years old, give or take a year or two, whatever. So he lived probably 20, 30 years longer than most of the other disciples. i never seen John write a book and say, this is the biography of the Apostle Paul. This is the biography of Peter. And I thought, I wonder what Paul and Peter would have thought if John ever tried to write a book on them. And yet we live in a day and age to where men are exalted to a high standard and they become like gods. And we reverence them. And I'm telling you, those men they're writing about would be ashamed if they seen that today. When they tried to give Peter praise, when Peter went to uh, seen the dream and went to Macedonia and, and to, to preach the gospel, and he bowed down, Peter said, "Stand up! I'm I'm just like you. I'm I'm not God. I'm a servant, just like you are." I'm, and John did the same thing. And the messenger in Revelation, stand up! I'm not God. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm simply saying, how many men today put other men on a pedestal and not Christ? Don't. Allow yourself to be influenced by the weaknesses and failures and sins of other believers. Keep your eyes on Christ. This do in remembrance of me. Not of Peter failing. Not on you striving with one another who's going to be the greatest. Not on you be offended for me. Not on Judas betraying me. Betraying me. Not on you deserting me. Don't, don't look at other believers. Don't look at them. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Okay? Don't let others... 
influence you. By remembering him in this divine ordinance, we remind ourselves that it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about this do in remembrance of me. And yet, here's the second point to this twofold part with his disciples. Don't let the weaknesses and sins and failures of others hinder you, but also, and this is very important, one which I believe is lacking in this generation as well, it's only by remembering Christ, listen to me, it's only by remembering Christ that we will also be enabled to truly love and forgive one another as true believers. Don't let them hinder you, but also don't let that stop you loving them and forgiving them. Isn't that amazing? Keep your eyes on me. Don't let them hinder you, but also don't let it stop you from forgiving and loving them when you remember me. Lord, said Peter, how oft shall my brother sin against me? Me. And I forgive him. Till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Peter doesn't specify any particular sin. Boy, over the years I've heard that one from many Christians. Well, I understand that that's in the Scripture, but you don't know what they did to me. No, Peter doesn't specify any particular sin. Nor does he imply sins of a lesser or greater degree, but all sins a brother might commit against him. Seventy times seven. An impossibility without remembering him. Why? Well, as we remember him, and we remember how often he needs to forgive us, it's easier to forgive others. I'm telling you, this, this is an area, this is a virtue which is greatly lacking amongst Christians today, and sadly amongst those who profess to know Christian doctrine. The forgiving and loving of one another as Christ loved us. We can only do that as we remember him. And yet by remembering him, it goes beyond our forgiving them, but enables us to truly love them. For even Christ loved them unto the end. John chapter 13 says he loved them unto the end, and then he started washing their feet. What do you mean unto the end? He loved them in spite of themselves. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I still love you. You're going to all be offended because of me, but I'm still going to love you. You're all going to forsake me, but I still love you. You know, if Christians, and they have, if this is done amongst majority Christians today, they would write you off forever and never talk to you again. Christians divide themselves over the most insignificant nonsense I've ever seen in my life. We've come far, far from being able to live in accordance to this divine law. And it is a law. It's a new commandment. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper tonight, we're remembering Him, which enables us not only to forgive our brethren who've sinned against us, but it goes even farther. It enables us to love them as Christ loved us. Because we're remembering Him who loved us so much He gave Himself for us. You, you see? You see how important it is to remember him, not just in his death, 
burial and resurrection and his coming in, but everything about Christ. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Isn't that amazing that all men shall know that ye are my disciples by loving one another? The love for one another with which Christ speaks is no normal love, but a love like that of Christ. For us, the world doesn't know that. Listen to me. The love of which he speaks, the new commandment, is a love that's not normal. It's strange to the world. It's a love like that of Christ for us. That's why the world, he says, the world shall know you're my disciples. Why? You're loving each other as I've loved you. And the world says, that's amazing. How can you do that? You're so different. Your temperance are so different. You have weaknesses and failures and problems and sins just like we do and yet you still love one another and the world says that is amazing we can't do that you offend me in the world i'll never speak to you again unfortunately that's the attitude of many christians today you've offended me i'll never speak to you again when i see you in the store i'll walk down the other aisle i'll turn my head i'll not talk to you the lord said no the love that you have towards one another is going to testify to the world that you're my disciples because they know nothing of that kind of love to where you love somebody who's so often different than you and yet christians today call that kind of love weakness The world loves their own. They're used to that. That's what Christ said. The world loves their own. They stick to those they agree with the most. They love and appreciate those who are the same mind as them. Love the same things as they do. Yet the world looks at Christians and says, but they're so opposite from you. <laughs> You're so different, and yet you still love one another? You still fellowship with one another? Boy, if they had done that to me, I'd have written them off a long time. No, I'm a Christian. But isn't it amazing how so many Christians do this? You know, most Christians today associate themselves only with those who agree with them and those that don't agree with them. Oh, man, I'm telling you, they're excommunicated from the fellowship. You don't believe the same way I do. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal truths. I'm talking about Christians who agree essentially in the major doctrines. Those who agree essentially in the essential doctrines, they still act like that. They still say, well, no, you, you hurt my feelings. You offended me. The world says, well, the way you respond to that is you just never talk to them again. You never fellowship with them. The Lord says, no, that's not the way it is. Lord says, look at me. I'm sitting at the table, partaking of the Lord's Supper, instituting the Lord's Supper with Peter that's going to die me three times, with all the disciples that's going to forsake me, while they're striving with one another, who's the greatest among themselves. They're all going to be offended at me and desert me, and I'm still sitting down, and I'm instituting the Lord's Supper so that they might be reminded how much I truly love them and give my life for them. Such sacrificial love, love is rare amongst true believers today. Is it not? It's rare. Believers want to love one another in spite of their many differences, weaknesses, and failures. And this attracts the attention of the world and proves we are truly Christ's disciples. So why is it important that we remember Christ when we partake of the Lord's Supper? Because it helps us to ignore what the world is doing 
It helps us to not be worried about the Judases. It helps us to forgive one another as Christians. And it helps us to love one another as Christians as we ought. So there's more when we partake of the Lord's Supper than simply saying, okay, well, this is his body. He gave it for me. And that's significant. That's important. Don't underestimate that. But there's much more to that. I believe there's much more to that when the Lord said this, do in remembrance of me, not only my death, of course, that's essential. Not only my burial and resurrection, my coming again, but more so remember me for who I am. Remember me for everything. Every time you partake of the Lord's Supper, I gave my body for you. I gave my blood for you. This is how much I loved you and sacrificed myself for you. So don't worry about what the world's doing. The world cannot touch you. I'm greater than the world. Don't worry about the Judases. I've got all that under control. He can't do nothing without permission. And when it comes to yourselves as Christians, learn to forgive one another as I've forgiven you and go a step further. When you've forgiven, love them just as much as I love. Wouldn't it be terrible if Christ is okay, like most Christians today? Okay, oh, I forgive them, but I just don't ever have communion and fellowship with them anymore. Wouldn't that be terrible if God did that to us? So, okay, I'll forgive you, but don't ever expect to have communion with me. I'm telling you, this is a love man cannot achieve on his own, and that's why I say the reason we have such problems with this in churches is because the majority of people sitting on pews are unconverted. I'm telling you, they're unconverted. It's not what you profess to know. It's the fruits that prove you're a child of God. Not what you boldly profess to know. You can spit, spit out doctrine all day long. You can tell me all the great things of election, predestination, superlapsarianism, and all those other things, and yet if you bear no fruit, all your words are vain. All your words are vain. It's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians says. It's the fruit of the Spirit that evidences that we are children of God. The works of flesh do nothing. So, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, let those words sink deep into our hearts and our minds. We do this in remembrance of Him so that we might be able to live a life which is pleasing to Him. Amen? And we might be encouraged against the world and the Judases, and the ungodly men who've crept in, and the false teachers and false prophets, that we might learn to love, to forgive one another, and take it a step further, even forgiving them and loving them as we ought as Christians. I'm telling you, there is a wonderful blessing in partaking of the Lord's Supper, and I hope and pray that God would enable us every time we partake of it to know a little bit more of that blessing that he's bestowed upon us every time we partake. Every time you eat of this, Remember me. When we do, dearly beloved, we'll be encouraged and strengthened in so many, so many ways. May God grant us mercy and grace to experience that blessed truth even this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now, Lord, that you bless, Lord, thy word to our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to receive it. And may we, by thy grace and by thy mercy, Remember you this morning, and by remembering you, I pray we'd not be concerned with the world's hatred and their threats against us, that we'd not, Lord, be discouraged by the many Judases and unconverted. Lord, that we'd learn how it is to forgive and to love one another as you've loved us. Father, I pray, reveal unto us this morning thy Son, like you revealed unto us your Son when we needed salvation. For Christ said, no one can come to me unless the Father leadeth him. I pray that, Father, you would once again, as, our, as your children, lead us to Christ anew. Show us the things that belong to us in Christ 
And Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd help it, help us, Lord God, to see what blessings we have in him. Guide, direct, we pray. Bless now this time as we remember the Lord and all these done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.